Great. Hi, everybody. Two years ago, I invited a guest speaker to come to New Day 2016. And he explained that he'd love to come, but he was fully booked up, so he couldn't come to New Day 2016. He said, look, I'm also booked up for 2017. He said, look, we're going to have to look at New Day 2018. And the good news is that you are going to hear from him this morning. He is going to speak to us. And his story begins with a group of Christians who gave their money to help start a new church. What church? Sarah's church. Sarah's a young lady who becomes part of this church, and she's got a friend, a friend called Andy. But what she doesn't know about Andy is that Andy is actually involved in a life of crime. But Sarah starts sharing the good news about Jesus with her friend Andy. Sarah starts talking about the new life and the peace and the hope and the joy that Andy could have if he put his trust in Christ. And eventually, Andy says yes to Jesus. Andy becomes a Christian. And when Andy becomes a Christian, wow, there is this enormous change. Andy says, I felt like I'd had a bath inside. He feels cleansed for the first time. He feels washed. And he says, for the first time in my whole life, I felt pure. And he's been born again. And Andy is so full of joy and peace. Do you know what Andy does? He goes down to the local police station. And over the counter, Andy starts telling the police about 21 crimes that he's committed. I mean, Andy tells the police he's responsible for crimes that the police are just treating as unsolved crimes. But then Andy continues, and he confesses, confesses to 21 felonies, or, or as they're called in the USA. These are crimes that up until this moment, the police don't even know the crime happened until Andy starts talking about them. Now, Andy knows throughout this whole time that he will be arrested. Andy knows that he will be taken to trial. Andy knows he'll be found guilty at trial. I mean, he's already confessed his guilt. Andy knows that he will be sent to prison. But Andy views going to prison as an opportunity. Andy's thinking, seeing as I've got this new piece inside, what if I go inside? What if I tell the people in the prison, I could go into the prison and then they could know about Jesus. They could hear about the peace and the joy and the love that I've experienced. I could share this good news with them. They could have the same experience as me. So one day in prison, Andy is in his cell. He's on the bottom bunk and he's lying on his bunk and he's reading his Bible. And as he's reading his Bible, his cellmate, his cellmate is called David. David comes into the cell and says, Andy, quick, there's a massive fight in the corridor. Come quick, you'll miss it. Come on, come on, come on. Andy doesn't stir. Andy has seen a lot of fights in his time. And so David's kind of annoyed and kind of curious, what is the book that you're reading that is better than watching a fight? And so he has a little look. And when he sees what book it is that Andy's reading, David's reaction is literally, oh, you have got to be kidding me. <laughs> Andy, what are you doing reading the Bible? 
David says. And immediately David begins to challenge the authority of the Bible. Now, where is this coming from? David explains, look, Andy, I'm an atheist. I've been taught that once there was nothing. And then the entire universe came into existence uncaused, no designer, no creator, uh, just a surprising event that happened inexplicably. And then a long time after that, on one particular planet, in this case our planet, life came into existence on our planet. Again, no designer, no creator, no purpose, no reason. It's just an inexplicable, surprising event that just happened, David explains. So David goes on and says, look, Andy, since then, uh, Andy, that life has developed so that now we have different types of life. We have different types of animals. We have, for example, cats, dogs, horses, and humans. But David says, Andy, when a cat kills a mouse, the cat doesn't murder the mouse. No, cat's just being a cat. In the same way, David explains, Yes, it's true that humans have invented, created rules, do's and don'ts, thou shalt and thou shalt nots for themselves. But the truth is, David explains, there's no authority behind the rules, there's no God. And so I am free, David says, to do what I want. David says to Andy, ultimately, I am a chemical accident in a meaningless universe. The two of them begin the conversation. They carry on chatting and actually become quite good friends. And then after a few months, David begins to get frustrated that he's not making more progress talking to Andy, the newly converted Christian. And eventually he concludes the reason why I don't seem to be able to get Andy to come over and be an atheist like me is because I just don't know enough yet about Jesus in order to disprove the Christianity that Andy's into. Maybe I should study the Bible, find out more about it so that I can disprove it. So David gets hold of a Bible and he starts reading the life of Jesus. He starts Matthew's gospel. He goes through Mark, Luke. He's reading the life of Christ. And oh, wouldn't you just know it, yeah? As he reads the life the words of Jesus, the teaching of Jesus. He reads the miracle accounts of Jesus Christ. He has to confess that he feels impressed by Jesus Christ. In particular, when David reads the reports of Jesus' resurrection from the dead, he feels that they've got a kind of a ring of authenticity. They don't sound like fairy tales. Sounds like a real event that somebody's writing about. Hmm. By this stage... He's still in his prison cell. He's been friends for, with Andy for some months. He's lying on the top bunk, and David is thinking to himself, my whole life, up until now, first 20 years of my life, have been devoted to being free. That's been the whole plan and purpose of my life. I am free. I'll pursue my freedom. And yet, David realizes, I'm not happy. Meanwhile, there's this person living in my cell underneath me now on the bottom bunk, and he actually was free. I mean, he really was free. He was free. He was outside prison. But he voluntarily confessed to 21 felonies, and now he's in prison. But even though he's in prison, he's kind of like free inside, and he's got this peace and joy and Jesus, whatever it is, living inside him. So David's thinking, number one, I'm impressed by what I've read about Jesus Christ. 
Number two, I've got this living example living in the same cell as me. And then as he's on the top bunk, David is staring at a brick wall in his prison cell. A new thought enters David's mind. David thinks to himself, if someone walked into the prison cell now and they said to me, David, see that brick wall? Just happened. No designer, no purpose, no reason, no creator, just happened. I would think that person was bad. But then David thinks, the first ever living cell that ever existed on the surface of our planet, in order to reproduce itself, it must have been more complex than the brick wall. So David thinks, if the brick wall requires a creator, oh my goodness, life must require a creator. David thinks, oh, I think I believe in God. David closes his eyes and David prays. David says, God, I don't know whether I will believe that you exist tomorrow, but I believe that you exist right now. So, if you can do anything with someone like me, you're welcome. And then he prays a prayer that Andy's told him about. He says, um, God, I'm sorry for all the wrong things I've done. Uh, thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross in my place. Please come into my life. Amen. As he says those words, please come into my life. Amen. At that moment, boom, there is this amazing experience. David describes it as, it was as if I had spent the first 20 years of my life watching television in black and white. And then at that moment, as I said, please come into my life, amen, I opened my eyes. It's like somebody switched on the color. The cell looked different. The people in the prison looked different. David has the same experience, a new peace, a new joy, a new love. He feels like he's had a bath inside. He feels cleansed. He feels washed. He feels this peace. He's so excited about what's happened to him. Do you know what happens next? David is serving a 10-year prison sentence. You see, when he was a teenager, David was sentenced for 10 years in prison for committing a very serious crime. But after only five years of his 10-year sentence, turns out that David gets released. So now he's out of prison, he's a Christian, and he decides to apply to go to university. He applies to study biology at a university in a place called Norfolk, which, as you can imagine, is named after this county, yeah? So, David is now at university, having just become a Christian. And now it's David's turn. David's sharing a room with his new roommate, and David is lying on his bed. And David has got his Bible open, and his roommate, his roommate's called Nabil, Nabil walks into the room, same thing happens, Nabil says, oh my goodness, you've got to be kidding me, David, what are, you what are you doing reading the Bible? And David gets challenged by Nabil, Nabil immediately challenges the authority of the Bible. Now where is this coming from? Nabil explains that he is a, a Muslim, but Nabil isn't just a Muslim. Nabil has been taught from infancy by his parents that he is an ambassador for Islam. 
This is nothing new. Nabil has actually been coached by his mum and dad for conversations with Christians to try and persuade Christians to leave Christianity and come over to the house of Islam. Nabil is the grandson of Muslim missionaries, Muslim missionaries who left Pakistan to move to Indonesia to try and persuade Indonesians to become Muslims. Nabil is the great-grandson of Muslim missionaries who left Pakistan to go to Uganda and to try and persuade Ugandans to become Muslims. And so they begin this conversation, David and Nabil, and David and Nabil actually become best friends. Nabil and David begin a conversation that lasts for three years. And as they're chatting back and forth, Nabil and David, for the first two years of their friendship, Nabil and David discuss two of Nabil's claims. Number one, that Jesus never died on the cross. And number two, that actually the, uh, the, the, Jesus is not God at all. Those are the two things they discuss. For two years, they discuss it. In fact, these guys become such good friends, they even start choosing courses together so they can walk to the lecture theater together, and then they can carry on the conversation as they walk back. Two years investigating just those two questions. At the end of these two years, folks, on the first point, Nabil has been completely convinced that there is overwhelming historical evidence that Jesus actually did die on the cross. On the second point, Nabil has started to read bits of the New Testament for himself, and Nabil has discovered that actually Jesus makes not only direct claims to be God, but also indirect claims to be God. This is all new information, but Nabil does not panic. Nabil knows my Christian friend David has yet to study the Quran, and when David comes to study the Quran and looks at the life of the prophet Muhammad, we'll be on. So for the third year, for a whole year, the two of them investigate those two things, the authority of the Quran and the life of Muhammad. At the end of the third year, Nabil's worldview is in tatters. Nabil is no longer convinced that the Quran necessarily is the inspired authoritative word of God, and Nabil has discovered all kinds of things about the life of the Prophet Muhammad through reading the Hadith, the traditions about Muhammad's life, things that Nabil was never ever told before. He's discovered them for himself. And so he's disillusioned, disappointed actually with what he's found out about Muhammad's life. At the end of the third year, Nabil has become convinced Christianity must be true. But Nabil does not become a Christian. No. Nabil starts counting the cost. Can you imagine, folks, what it's going to cost Nabil? In terms of his family, his Muslim missionary family, what are they going to say? For five months, Nabil weighs up this epic decision. And after a series of extraordinary visions and dreams, God reveals himself to Nabil in a night dream. And on the 24th of August, 2005, Nabil bows the knee to Jesus Christ. <laughs> Nabil prays a prayer, putting his trust in Christ. But when he opens his eyes, having said amen, Nabil doesn't feel the peace, the joy. Nabil doesn't have the experience that Andy had. 
Nabil doesn't have the experience that David had. When Nabil finishes his prayer of commitment to Jesus, the only thought in Nabil's mind is, oh my goodness, at some point, quite soon, I am going to have to tell my parents that I've just done the unthinkable. I've just converted from Islam to Christianity. And folks, when that conversation eventually happens, it goes pretty much as badly as Nabil had always feared that it would. It's only after that conversation that Nabil actually does begin to experience a newfound relationship with God. Remember, for his whole life, Nabil has been utterly convinced that it is literally impossible for humans, any human, to have a personal relationship with God as Father. Now he's actually in the relationship personally that he thought wasn't possible. And so he's incredibly excited about it. So he starts telling other people about Jesus. Nabil finds when he talks to other people about Jesus, some of them put their trust in Christ almost like straight away. And so he starts to speak to bigger and bigger and bigger crowds of people. He's still a student all this time. And eventually, when Nabil finishes medical school in 2009, Nabil's getting so many invitations from all over the world that Nabil decides instead of going and practicing medicine as a doctor, I think I'm going to go and take some of these invitations. Nabil travels the world. Nabil lectures at more than 100 different universities. Nabil takes part in 18 moderated debates where there'll be a Muslim speaker on one side of the stage, there'll be a moderator with a stopwatch in the middle, and then Nabil is speaking for Christ. In fact, three years ago, Nabil debates against Shabir Ali. Shabir Ali used to be Nabil's hero. Nabil used to go to debates where the Muslim Shabir Ali was speaking. Nabil was there as a Muslim cheering Shabir Ali on. Now, this is just three years ago, Nabil's on the stage debating for Jesus with Shabir Ali. How cool is that? And is it at this point in Nabil's life that his friends all say to him, Nabil, you have absolutely got to write your story down. So let's listen to Nabil talking about his amazing journey. Let's watch the screens. I was a mama's boy. I, uh, every time we went out somewhere, if I were scared, I would run up to my mom. Um, I would stay very close to her. If I were sick, I would put my head on her tummy. Um, I was very, very close to my mother. My earliest memories are of my mother every day sitting me next to her and having me put on my skull cap and showing me how to recite the Quran letter by letter. I finished the Quran when I was five years old, and by that time I had memorized the last seven chapters so that I could recite them during the five daily prayers. To be raised Muslim in the United States was a point of pride because we believed uh, that we had the truth. In my freshman year of college, my best friend and I had many conversations about faith. and We argued all the time about Islam versus Christianity. But one specific day, he pulled me aside and he said, Nabil, if Christianity were true, 
and it meant you had to give up everything to follow God, would you want to know the truth? It took a long time before I was able to determine for myself, even if I lose everything, it's worth it. And when my parents did find out, it was the most painful day of my life, probably the most painful day of their lives too. And I'll never forget the look in my mother's eye. And when they left, I just crumbled to the ground. And I just started crying. And I'm saying to God, why didn't you kill me? Because I'm thinking in my mind, if you'd killed me the moment I believed, I would have been in heaven, I'd have been happy. My parents wouldn't have known, they'd have been happy. I'd be worshiping you, you'd be happy. We'd all be happy if you'd killed me the moment I believed. And so I'm rocking back and forth and saying, why didn't you kill me? Why didn't you kill me? And I don't know where your theology stands. I'm just here to testify to what happened in my life. As I'm saying, why didn't you kill me? Why didn't you kill me? I heard these words, because this is not about you. And it was like I was rooted to the ground. I could not move for 10 minutes. I was stuck in place. And when I finally did get up and I walked away, it was as if the person who had been there crying was somebody else. And it was as if all the issues I had were somebody else's issues. And I walked outside and I looked at the world and it all looked so different. And I looked at a person crossing the street. It's a fairly mundane thing, someone crossing the street. But for the first time, it hit me that that's not just someone. That person is worth so much, God died for them. Now, you have to understand, in the Muslim perspective, God doesn't come into this world. This world's too filthy. God doesn't die for anyone. Why would God do that? They're his servants. He's God. He's created the universe. He's majestic. Why would he do any? He would never do any of that. And the answer is, he would because he loves them that much. They're worth that much to him. And the creator of the universe, the one who's worshipped by angels for all eternity, if you just saw one of those angels, you'd be tempted to worship it. That's how magnificent they are. They're all worshipping him. And he comes into this world for us, to die for us. What? The resurrection happened. Jesus claimed to be God, then he died on the cross, and he proved it by rising from the dead. God died on the cross. That God who made the universe suffered that death because he loves us that much. That is the Christian message. That is worth believing. Now, if you ask me, Nabil, you had a perfect life. You had a family that loves you. You, had, you, had, you were becoming a doctor. You had, you had a good place in society. Everything was great for you. Was it worth it? Absolutely it was worth it. I would do it a hundred times over again. Today, my, my mom and dad didn't come to my wedding. Every single time I see a video of a son dancing with his mother at his wedding, I have to think that it was worth it. Every time I see parents lovingly hug their children and say, we're proud of you, I have to think it was worth it. Because it was worth it. And if I have to die the same kind of death that Christ died in order to proclaim this message of hope to other people who are here, that would be the greatest honor I could ever have. Nabil Qureshi.
Nabil Qureshi died last year on the 16th of September. He was 34 years old, about the same age that Jesus was when Jesus died. But Nabil is still telling people about Jesus. All over the world right now, people are going on YouTube and watching. They're watching Nabil preaching right now on YouTube. All over the world right now, people are going on Vimeo and they're watching Nabil preaching right now on Vimeo. All over the world right now, people are going onto Amazon and they're clicking through and they're buying Nabil's three books. No God But One, Answering Jihad, and his international blockbuster, New York Times, best-selling autobiography, Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus. God loves Muslims. Today, people are becoming Christians all over the world through Nabil. Muslims are turning to Christ now, having read Nabil's story. How come? Because some Christians gave money to start a new church. Which church? Sarah's church. You remember Sarah at the start of the story? Sarah, who is friends with Andy? Andy, he was the one who turned himself into the police after he'd become a Christian, ended up in prison. He was the one who ended up sharing a prison cell with the atheist David Wood. David, he was the one who became a Christian in prison and then went to university and he ended up becoming best friends with Nabil. But if it wasn't for the church plant, none of this might have happened. The Muslims who are turning to Christ right now through Nabil might never have heard the good news about Jesus were it not for that group of Christians who gave money to start a new church. Sarah's church. Hey, not every single one of us in this tent will lead hundreds of Muslims to Christ. But every single one of us in this tent could give some money to help start a new church like Sarah's church. So the good news is when in a few minutes you're asked to walk forward and put some money into some buckets, you're not just giving money away, you are investing. We are investing in the next church plant. We're investing in someone like Sarah. We're investing in someone like Andy. We're investing in someone like David. We are investing in someone like Nabil Qureshi, who right now is changing the world for Jesus. Let me just mention one last thing. When I wrote this talk, I left out of the talk the reason why David Wood was sentenced to 10 years in prison. You may remember I skimmed over it. You may remember I told you a few minutes ago that he had committed a very serious crime. But you know, in the car, my 17-year-old daughter says to me, Dad, 
I think that at New Day, you should tell everybody the truth about David Wood. Hmm. Okay. So I will. Folks, the reason why David Wood was sentenced to 10 years in prison while David Wood was a teenager is because one night, David Wood entered his dad's bedroom, and whilst his dad was asleep, David Wood beat his dad repeatedly over the head with a hammer. He did so until he thought that his dad was dead. Now, actually, his dad survived this attack, and amazingly enough, the two of them were reconciled. But the point is this, that when David Wood was sentenced as a teenager to 10 years in prison for malicious wounding, at that moment, no one thought that David Wood's life would amount to anything. David Wood had grown up watching his mum get beaten up by her boyfriend. No one believed in David Wood. No one helped him. Today, in the same way, there are teenagers in South London right now. There are teenagers in North London right now. There are teenagers in our towns and cities. And they wouldn't dream of leaving home without carrying a knife. Some of them have grown up watching their mum get beaten up. Some of them, like David Wood, have been told, you'll never amount to anything. But what if this morning we believed in them? What if we decided to help them? What if right now we decided to power the fight to help them? Because I'm here to tell you this morning that the same David Wood who beat his dad over the head with a hammer became a Christian in prison, went to university, and led Nabil Qureshi to Christ. And Nabil today is changing the world for Jesus. Folks, with God, all things are possible. So, let us power the fight, and let's release these church plants to change the world. God bless you.